We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, part of the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much, as always. We're locking in the Talking Buffalo today, whether you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, or whether you're watching this on the video side here on YouTube, going solo today. And typically when I do these solo episodes, which is not often, thank God, quite frankly, um, they're only audio. But today, starting today and going forward, even when I do these solo um. This is going to be on video as well. So all episodes of Talking Buffalo going forward are going to be on video. If you're not subscribed to the channel, make sure you go on YouTube, find Talking Buffalo, hit like, subscribe, uh, comment on the videos. It really helps us continue to uh, to grow this channel. Going to talk about Buffalo Bills training camp. Um, I got some observations and takeaways from Sunday's practice. I was in attendance at St. John's Fisher. This is the the fourth time. Over the last like week and a half, maybe that I've been able to get out to practice and uh, you know, have my eyes open watching a lot of things. So definitely have some takeaways for you. I'll say this as a little bit of a, a teaser going into this episode. And by the way, this will not be long. More times than I let me before we even get into Bill's camp, let me um go over a couple things real quick here. Most of these episodes of Talking Buffalo, as they've always have been. We'll have a guest. Um, I have Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumblings. He's still doing Wednesdays for me over the summer. And then uh, in the fall, Aaron Quinn from Cover One will be back to to take over that role. So I'll have Anthony or Aaron on every Wednesday. Typically on Tuesday, I'll have either Joe Yurden or uh, PK from the Buffalo Sports Collective. One of those two guys. And we'll talk bills. We'll talk hockey as well. And then not every week, but as I've been doing throughout the summer, uh, we have an Imperial live series where I have a guest and, and we do the show. We live stream it live from Imperial Pizza in South Buffalo. Again, that's not an every week thing, but whenever I have a guest on, uh, we'll continue to be doing those as well. So anyway, most of my shows have another guest 
every now and then I'm going to throw down a little solo episode when I do those. Uh, they won't be long. And usually it's for a specific purpose because, you know, I got some thoughts on something specific or, you know, uh, a singular topic that I want to cover. Uh, real quick, I, I want to acknowledge because referring back to my Live from Imperial series um, that I've been doing, I had Joe Marino on with me last Thursday night. Um, and of course, Bills fans, you know, Joe Marino, the host of Lockdown Bills. Also, by the way, author of this excellent book. If you're watching this on the video side, you can see it on the screen here. Go Bills, Photographs and History of the Buffalo Bills, written by our guy, Joe Marino. And by the way, this book is absolutely uh, outstanding. So if you haven't picked it up, go on Amazon, type in Go Bills, Joe Marino, go get it. An excellent history of the organization, both in photographs, articles, uh, statistical data, a real great reference point. The perfect coffee table book, as Joe likes to call it. Anyway, I just want to acknowledge Joe. I'll tell you, I, I've been doing this podcast for a long time, and I've had Joe on a few times, but they've always been through StreamYard or, or Zoom. It was the first time this past week that I had an opportunity to meet Joe in person. Actually, we met twice. Uh, we met up at practice a week ago last Monday. Um, I sat with uh, Joe and also Joe Miller from Buffalo Rumblings. We took in practice, had a good conversation. That was a lot of fun. And then on Thursday night last week, uh, Joe came up to Imperial Pizza with his brother, David Marino. And <laughs> I got to tell you, man, I was a little blown away. I mean, I know Joe. Joe's my favorite Bills podcaster. I, I've said it many times on this show for my money. I, I think Joe is as good or, or better than any Buffalo Bills podcaster out there. And that's with complete respect to a lot of really good content creators. But uh, anyway, like I said, I, I knew Joe was a popular guy, but I didn't know until last week just how popular he was. Because I'll tell you, whether it was at Bill's camp at St. John's Fisher last Monday, or especially at Imperial Pizza last Thursday night, people were coming up to Joe and just big fans, man. People who drove... One couple drove all the way from Angola because they wanted to meet Joe. Um, it just He's got a lot of fans. That's what I'm getting at here. And people just wanted to, to meet him and have a conversation with him and take photographs with him, get a copy of his book, have them sign it. It was just, it was great to see. And getting to know Joe a little bit, like I said, not you know physically in person until recently, but knowing him for a while. I know how much effort and work he puts into uh everything he does. And that's one of the reasons why I think he's the best. You know, he has a show every day during the week. Um, just the consistency, the, the the talent, the knowledge, the passion that he has for it. I think it resonates with fans. And I got to see it firsthand last week. So that was really cool to see. So it was great to have Joe on uh, the podcast last week. I just wanted to make sure that I acknowledged him. Uh, before I get into today's show, and if you're an old school wrestling fan, let, let me throw a uh, a phrase out that Rowdy Roddy Piper used to say because it kind of ties into how I feel right now about watching the Buffalo Bills through four practices. Like I said, I've been there four times uh, at Bills practice. Roddy Piper, one of his famous catchphrases used to be, just when you think you have all the answers, I change the questions. That's how I feel about some things that are going on with the Bills at training camp and specifically some of these positional battles because going to practice a couple times last week and 
seeing what, what they rolled out during the uh, scrimmage at the stadium on Friday. I start to feel confident that, you know, positional battles are, are being determined and that they're coming to an end. Or I feel confident in saying, you know, Kyrie Elam is very much in the mix for the starting cornerback job alongside Trey White. Or I'll say, you know, I really think Osiris Torrance is wrestling the job away from Ryan Bates at right guard. And just as you start to feel that way, you go to our practice and you see the rotation changed. So it seems at times like things have been settled, but by large, and we're just a a handful of days away now from the Bills' first uh, preseason game, home game this Saturday afternoon um, against the Indianapolis Colts. Anyway, my point is, not a lot has been settled. And maybe it's not supposed to be at training camp. Maybe they need to see some live bullets in the preseason and they'll start to go a long way towards making uh, some of these decisions. But yeah, right now, I, you know, I just, I almost, <laughs> I tweet out something and, and the next day it, it's the complete opposite. Or sometimes not even the next day. Sometimes it's the next segment at practice. That happened a couple times, in fact, on Sunday. Uh, I'll get into that. So what I'm going to do briefly, and again, this won't be long. I'm going to spend a couple of minutes talking about takeaways. I got some, you know, bullet point notes that I'm going to hit on here. My takeaways that I saw with my own eyes at practice, primarily on Sunday, but also the other three times I've uh, been to Bill's camp so far this this season. I, I think you start to form after a while some takeaways. And that's what I have today. I have some for offense, have some for defense, one or two special teams, things that I'm noticing as well. Uh, so we'll talk about it today, and then uh, I'll get you out of here. Some of these are on the on the positive side. If you're a fan and you're looking for optimistic takes, gobble them. Quite frankly, um, are on the negative side. Things I I have seen that I don't like. And if you know one thing about me, you know one thing about this podcast. I am a Bills fan. I I don't try to pretend that I'm not, but I will be very critical of this team. And any player on this team, whether I like them personally or not, um, when I feel it's warranted. So, you know, if, if you're coming to uh, get all nothing but rosy takes when it comes to the Buffalo Bills, who, again, a team that I think is very good. But if if you're here just for the rosy takes, you're probably listening or, or watching uh, the wrong show. So I just want to throw that out there. Some of the stuff that I see with my eyes, I, I'm not liking, and we're going to talk about both of that today. All right. So anyway, like I said, we'll do some offense, do some defense, a little bit of special teams, and we'll get you out here. And these are notes that I've written down that aren't in any specific order, kind of random, like they're not in necessarily order of importance from from most important to uh to least. So to kick things off with the offense, I noticed this on Sunday, especially this this Sunday and a couple times before that. I feel like when it comes to the Bills wide receiver position. I think Khalil Shakir is emerging as that third wide receiver. I feel like when the Bills have three wide receivers, and I'm not counting, so we're clear here, Dalton Kincaid as that big slot guy when I'm talking about the Bills wide receivers. The Bills throughout camp have played plenty of two tight end sets. And I'm sure they'll continue, and I hope they do a lot of that. But I'm talking right now when there's only one tight end on the field, whether it's Dawson Knox, 
or whether it was Dalton Kincaid, and the Bills go with three receivers on the field. Early in camp, when it came to working with the ones, it felt like there was a lot of Shakir and Deontay Hardy and Trent Shurfield kind of vying for that slot receiver role. We'll call it the role that Cole Beasley manned over the last handful of years. But on Sunday, pretty much anytime the Bills rolled out three wide receivers, Khalil Shakir was out there. He was out there with Stefan and, and Gabe Davis. I feel like he's emerged as that starter. I think you're going to see a lot of Khalil Shakir in three receiver sets. Or, like I said, if they're running two tight end sets, you'll see Dalton Kincaid out there. But Khalil Shakir is having, I don't want to say he's having a great camp. Because quite frankly, I've you know I've seen some drops. I've seen a couple things from him that that I'm not huge on. But he's having a good camp, and I feel like this staff trust him. I kind of feel like the roles and things could change. Like I said, Roddy Piper phrase here: when you just when you think you have all the answers, I change the questions. Right now, it feels to me when it comes to the wide receivers, Khalil Shakir is going to be that cold, and we'll use former players kind of as a guide to how I'm seeing the receiving room right now playing out. I feel like Khalil Shakir is kind of stepping into that Cole Beasley role. And again, so we're clear. I think Dalton Kincaid will see plenty of slot action as well. But anyway, I think Khalil's kind of being that Cole Beasley slot guy who's going to be out there a lot playing in the slot, working the middle of the field, moving the chains. I see Deontay Hardy Right now, at least anyway, as that Isaiah McKenzie type, which is not surprising. I mean, he's fast and he's tiny, just like Isaiah. But and I'm not talking about last year where Isaiah um, week was that week one starting slot receiver. I'm talking about probably like 2021 where Isaiah would do, you know, he'd come out of the backfield, kind of a gadgety guy. He'd have some four receiver sets. He'd be out there. He'll spell slot receiver some, I'm sure, as well. But I kind of feel like his role is going to be that and kick return or more on that in a second as well. So I kind of feel like he's got that 2021 uh, Isaiah McKenzie vibes here in this offense. Also a yak guy, a guy who could catch the ball short, make somebody miss and go a long way. So I see that with him. And and then I look at Trent Shurfield, the guy who, you know, I'm pretty high on him. I like him. Got to be honest with you, though. I think he's had a good camp. I don't think he's had a standout camp. Now, maybe in part, that's because part of, Sherfield's game, what makes him great is his physicality. And, you know, you can only do so much of that at practice during training camp. So we're not fully seeing that to this point. But anyway, when it comes to Trent Sherfield, kind of see him being like Jake Kumaro before Jake got hurt last year. You know, a guy who could play on the outside some, played for Gabe Davis a little bit on the outside, um, a really good blocker and a good special teams player as well. So that's where I see Trent Sherfield right now in this office. And again, it's one thing to go there one day and just kind of put these thoughts together. But being there four times now, I'm starting to see that that's probably how things are going to shape out when it comes to the receivers on this roster. But anyway, out of them, like I said, I've noticed that Khalil Shakir pretty much is getting every snap with the ones. When the Bills play three wide receivers, and not two tight ends with mixed results too. So anyway, that's that's one thing I've noticed for sure. Um, another thing that I'm noticing, which again, I'm going to keep referencing that Roddy Piper quote. In fact, this is one of the positions that I thought of that made me think of that Piper quote. Right guard. 
We keep hearing that this is a legitimate competition between Ryan Bates and Osiris Torrance. And I'll tell you what, it is. It definitely is. And who's with the ones and who started in certain segments? I guess it depends on what part of practice you're watching. On Sunday, so when if, if you haven't been to Bill's practices, or if you've been there, well, you're not really paying that much attention. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know how usually how it works. They start out, so the team comes onto the field, and before they even go to, to team stretching, they'll put the, the one offense out there against the one defense, and it's purely a walkthrough. Like the defense is out there, but they're not trying to defend or knock down any passes or put any pressure on the quarterback. It's just to get out there, get a little bit loose. It's pretty much they're a light jog. If it's not a walkthrough, it's like a light jog. Anyway, on Sunday, and I've seen this before too, Osiris Torrance was out there with the ones. So on the very first snap of the day, he's playing with the ones. Um, later on in practice, they're doing offensive line drills and, and work as five-man units. I see Ryan Bates with the ones. Later in practice, they're doing, uh, they do two sets of uh, full-speed 11 out of 11s. Once, Osiris Torrance was with the ones. The other time, uh, Ryan Bates was with the ones. So they're really going back and forth right now. This is a legitimate, true competition. My gut, and again, of all the positions on the field, I, I should probably say it soon. In fact, this was something I was talking to uh, Joe Marino at with practice. In fact, I was asking him, trying to pick his brain a little bit. What are some of the things you look for from an offensive line when you're evaluating them, watching them at practice? Because again, there's only so much you can, you can, you can uh, only so much information that you could garner from a unit if they're not going full speed or if it's not full-on physical contact and there's nothing more physical than the trenches in football. So there's only so much you can take away. But anyway, I, I've seen, it seemed, Osiris Torrance at times, it, it seems to me with my eyes at least, he's struggling a little bit in some of these situations. You know, a common theme through training camp has been the Bills defensive line has looked really good. I have heard Joe Biscaglia write and talk about it. Heard Matt Perino write and talk about it. Ryan Talbot, Sal Capaccio, a lot of these guys. We're talking about how good the defensive line looks. Well, for the defensive line to look good, that means they're beating people on the offensive line, right? And Osiris Torrance, while he's had some good moments, he doesn't look out of place. He doesn't look like he's in over his head right now um, with this first-team offense. But it seems to me like he's struggled some. Like, he's lunged some. He's, he's had some misses. He's gotten beat. Um. I think my gut tells me as of right now, like if, if the Bills had it, I know they have a preseason game on Saturday. If the regular season was going to start on this Sunday, I feel like Ryan Bates would, would get that spot right now. I feel like he'd be the starter if week one was this Sunday. I just think maybe it's a comfort level. I just think he, he does more things right at this point, at least anyway, than Osiris Torrance. But it is a legitimate battle. They are going back and forth almost taking turns having first-team reps with the offense right now in, in, uh, in practice. So when the preseason starts, you know, there's usually not a lot to, to look forward to uh, during three preseason games. And I'm not sure how much the starters will play, but this is going to be a position where I wouldn't be surprised if you see plenty of Osiris Torrance in the preseason, see how he looks with live bullets flying against another team. But right now, I would give the slightest of edge based on uh, what I'm seeing out there and based on how I think they're looking just a little bit of a slight edge to Ryan Bates, but I still think Osiris Torrance definitely can, um, can overtake him at some point.
another stay stay with the guards. A take that I've had, and, and I know Joe Cho was talking about this. In fact, last week, not to plug in the same podcast, but our Live from Imperial series I had with, with Joe Marino last Thursday, I asked him to name me one or two bills on this team right now that have not impressed him at camp. Like players that have left him, I don't want to say that they've not played well or that they've stunk. I kind of phrase it as players where you'd like to see a little bit more from them. Let's just put it that way. Anyway. First guy he said was Connor McGovern, the starting left guard, the guy that they gave pretty big money to from Dallas during the offseason. And I, I kind of looked and paid a little more attention at practice today on Sunday and, and kind of felt the same, a little bit underwhelmed. Now, the book on Connor McGovern is he's really good in pass protection and he struggles really badly in the running game. Um, Again, you know, he decipher so much information fr from practices, especially when they're not even going 100% a lot of the time. But back to my point about the defensive line looking really good through a lot of camp right now, you know. Part of that's on the guard play. Now, I expect the guard play to be better than it was last year, better than Roger Saffold. I think Ryan Bates will either be improved as a player or he's going to get pushed out by Torrance. So I'm still optimistic about the interior of the Bills offensive line compared to a year ago. But uh, Connor McGovern, from what I'm seeing, what I saw on Sunday, and after listening to Joe and kind of having that resonate with me, I'm a little bit underwhelmed by Connor McGovern uh, as well. Sticking with the offensive line, I'll tell you, I do not like what I'm seeing from either backup offensive tackle, whether it's David Quisenberry on the left side, whether it's Brandon Shell on the right side, backing up Dawkins or Spencer Brown, respectively. Not a fan at all. Worried about that. I still feel. And I talked a little bit about this on the show last week. A lot of things, one thing I should say that completely went under the radar with this offseason in terms of what we've been talking about, what fans have been thinking and talking about, because we went through several weeks, if not months, of Stefan Diggs' offseason social media drama, I guess. I mean, it's been squashed since then. But at the time, it felt like a little bit of drama going on there. You know, the draft, some post draft uh, free agent signings on the defensive side of the football. We just had a lot of talking points, you know, Josh Allen dating celebrities. Now we just, we've spent a lot of time talking about a lot of things, but one thing that we almost kind of forgot about was if Brandon Bean, in my opinion, the, the biggest mistake I feel like he made this entire off season was not signing and providing legitimate quality competition for starting right tackle with Spencer Brown. And I still feel that way. I mean, Spencer Brown's looked okay in camp. I kind of feel like it's been a mirror of what we've seen over the first uh, couple of years. Now, Joe Marino at, at um, Bill's practice late last week talked about he looked a little bit slow and howled and was struggling a little bit. He has a history with the back. Um, looked good, fine. Health-wise, he, he looked perfectly fine at, at practice um, on Sunday. But I anyway, back to the, to the backups. I, I just, I don't like at all what I've seen from Quisenberry. I don't like much at all what I've what I've seen from uh, the right tackle as well, uh, uh, Brandon Shell. So that might be a position I wouldn't be surprised. You know, we're still at camp and we're just getting ready to start the preseason. When it's all said and done, I wouldn't be stunned if the Bills look to uh, potentially look to the waiver wire to uh, to address offensive tackle. One other point, kind of circling back to Ryan Bates, if Osiris Torrance does win the starting job at right guard. You know, I feel like Ryan Bates might be that guy who could back up 
maybe all of the lines on there. He's played offensive tackle. That's what I'm getting at. So maybe Ryan Bates could be that guy if Brown is struggling or he gets hurt or if Dawkins gets hurt, that maybe it could be Ryan Bates who steps in. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have any confidence in Brandon and I don't have any confidence right now in, in Quisenberry at all at the backup tackle spots. And that's kind of stuck out to like a sore thumb to me at training camp. And maybe, quite frankly, that's because I'm uh, kind of looking out for that. Um, quiet camp from Ike Bakker. I got that in my notes. And it's not that he's looked bad. It's just that I kind of think Ike might, who's coming back, of course, from the Achilles, might be buried a little bit on the step chart because you got the competition at right guard. You got McGovern locked in at left guard. And with the second team, has pretty much exclusively been David Edwards, uh, the Rams free agent signing or signing, I should say, that's been with the second team when they're running drills. Which, by the way, I like David Edwards. He's looked pretty damn good. In fact, at times, I feel like he's probably looked better, quite frankly, than uh, Connor McGovern, although he's going against a lot of backup guys instead of uh, first-teamers. But anyway, Bakker, don't know if there's going to be a, um, a spot on this roster for him at this point. I know the Bills liked him. They wanted him back. And again, it's not that he's having a bad camp. I would just call it a a quiet camp, which is probably not good for a guy coming back from a, a major injury. Um, two things on, on the positive side when it comes to the offense. Gabe Davis looks great. He looks really good. I've talked about it. In fact, I had an episode last week literally titled with Anthony Marino, Gabe Davis is dominated camp. I feel like he is. He looks good. He's catching footballs. He always has been a guy, You and if you watch him, you know this, he, he could get behind you. He can make those deep catches, but he's running quick slants. He's running outs. He's running more of a route tree, it seems. He's playing looser. Looks like he's got a lot of confidence. Um, at practice on Sunday, he had a really nice catch on deep post. He kind of turned around a little bit, Dane Jackson, and it was a really nice completion, Josh Allen, uh, to Gabe Davis. Maybe the offensive play of the day, actually. Um, so, yeah, I really like Gabe Davis. Looks healthy. Keep talking about it last year. The ankle, I, I think, Physically, it limited him, and also I think maybe it screwed up his confidence a little bit. That plus maybe some just sky-high expectations. It just made for a so-so year for Gabe Davis in 2022, but I think he's got a chance, and this, of course, this being a contract year, um, I think he's got a chance to really be a breakout star for the Bills. The guy that we saw in the Chiefs game in the playoffs two years ago, he ain't going to get 200 yards and four touchdowns a game, but that guy, that weapon, that guy who brought that element to the Bills' offense, as long as he can stay healthy, I, I think Gabe Davis is going to be the real deal uh, this year in 2023. Absolutely love what I'm seeing from him in camp. If I were going to make a power making of the five Buffalo Bills, you know, I just talked about asking Marino um, last week, you know, one or two guys who left you wanting more, who didn't impress you. If I was coming up with a list of the top five consistently most impressive players at Bills camp through this point, Gabe Davis would be in my top five, and he probably wouldn't be five either. So really good stuff I'm seeing from Gabe Davis. Uh, another guy, James Cook. Uh, I'm just trying to think of the right thing to say. He, Everything that we liked about him last year and everything you heard about him coming out as a second-round pick from Georgia, you're seeing it come to fruition, I feel like, at training camp this year. not Didn't really see much of it, as much of it, even at camp last year. Stuck behind Devin Singletary, kind of, it was a mystery of what James Cook's role with the offense was going to be and how quickly he would be integrated into the offense last year, how much his usage would be. That was kind of a, a mystery last year as a rookie. I'll tell you what, ain't no mystery this year. He looks really good at camp. 
He is your number one back. He is your featured back. He's catching the ball to the backfield. He looks explosive. Uh, we've seen it last year. You know, he looks really patient and then bam, accelerates. Hits that hole hard. He's looking really good. I would be stunned if James Cook, provided, of course, like with everyone else, he stays healthy. I'd be stunned if he doesn't have a great year. And we spent a lot of time, and rightfully so, talking about Damian Harris and Latavius Murray and who's going to be that running back two or the running back three and what their roles are going to be and how much they're going to play. And I get all that. But I'm telling you, man, James Cook this year, potentially, put it this way. I, I tweeted about this on Sunday. I tweeted this out. If you're a fantasy football player, if you're a guy or girl out there who plays fantasy football, James Cook might be a guy that you want to get early in your draft. Now, I'm telling you, I, I, I feel like this guy's in line for a big year. You got Josh. You got the, the skilled receivers and the tight ends. Bills throw the football a lot. You, you're not going to stack the box. You're not going to bring in seven, eight. You're not going to bring in eight guys to the box to stop the run. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities here for James Cook to run the football very effectively. Maybe not necessarily more than Singletary did, but more effectively. Anyway, I, I'm over the moon. I like what I've seen from James Cook. I think he is one or maybe two or three players this year that have that star breakout potential. Uh, for this roster. So I love James Cook. And then the last point I want to talk about here on the offense, and this is not a good one. Uh, I, look, I'm going to be honest with you, completely honest. I've been, I like to consider myself somebody who through the years has went to a reasonable amount of training camp practices. I don't want to talk about the games. I don't want to talk about the preseason. And I don't want to talk about the regular season. I'm talking purely practice here. If you go to training camp and you go to, and you watch practice, whether it's the Bills or another team, or maybe hell, even college or high school, I guess as well too, your offense is generally going to look pretty good. And your quarterback in t-shirt and shorts or just with shells on without getting hit, no fear of getting hit. He knows he's not going to get touched. He's got that red jersey on. Your quarterback's going to look pretty damn good throwing the football, right? Well, I've been to a lot of camps, watched a lot of practice. And I got to tell you, Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley, I've seen some of the worst quarterback play this training camp from the QB2 and the QB3 that I've ever seen at Bill's training camp, ever, ever. They have been horrible. I wasn't high on Kyle Allen at the time when he signed with the Bills and NLS Josh's boy, whatever. And let me preface this too. I get it. Dude, if Josh Allen goes down, the Bills are screwed. Just like if Patrick Mahomes goes down, the Chiefs are screwed. We can, Jalen Hurts goes down, the Eagles are screwed. We can almost go entirely down the line and say the same thing about every stud quarterback in that organization if the quarterback goes down. So I get it. But, I, when Kyle Allen signed with the Bills, I'm like, I'm not high about this, but I expect, you know, he's going to be reasonably okay. Like if Josh goes down, he's got to miss three games. Maybe Kyle could get you at least two wins, at least one. Well, based on what I'm seeing, no, I've, <laughs> I have zero faith and zero confidence right now at this point in Kyle Allen as a quarterback too. And of course, Matt Barkley, that goes without saying. As a quarterback three, I think he's destined for the practice squad. And if something happens to Kyle Allen or somebody else, more on that in a second, 
then you got to bring Matt up, and that's just the way it, it, you know it goes. He's good for the quarterback room. He's good for things that are not necessarily on the football field. Anyway, Kyle Allen threw two of the worst passes, man. He threw an interception at the end of Sunday's practice to um, Christian Benford. We'll talk about the defense here in just a minute. It was such an ugly pass. And then there was another play where he threw a pass. I, it was intended for I, it was intended for Trent Sherfield. And it was so high and so behind him. And Cam Lewis made, um, made a play on the ball to try to intercept it. Got up high. And Sherfield kind of barreled into him a little bit, trying to play defender, which he's supposed to do. Anyway, Cam came down, smacked his head, looked at my trainers as we're taping this. Don't know any severity of, uh, it didn't seem like it was a serious injury for Cam, I mean, but obviously it's something to, uh, to monitor. But anyway, just these 15-yard outs, these things at practice, it is, God, he just, Kyle Allen just looks terrible, man. He just looks horrible. I don't like anything about it, what I've seen from him, and ditto for Matt Barkley. Um, you know, when you're, when you're watching practice sometimes, and, and you got four or five drills going on at once, you don't... Sometimes you see the quarterback, you just see the football going towards the wide receiver. You're not really locked in on who's actually throwing the football. When the Bills are practicing, it's funny because when Josh Allen's throwing the football, you can see, you don't have to look at his, you don't have to look at him. Just look, track the football and you know who's throwing it. His lasers. And then you watch Kyle Allen throw the same routes and the ball's just hanging up there and it's taking longer to get there. And it's a good, you know, half step behind the guy or over his head or whatever. I just, I have no confidence in Kyle Allen. Um, you know, he has a history in the league. I mean, 19 starts a couple of years ago. It was 2019 with Carolina. He started 12 games, went five and seven. I mean, there's probably, there's, I, there are worse quarterbacks in the NFL, but <laughs> I haven't seen much worse quarterback play that I've seen at training camp with, with, with these backups. I wouldn't be surprised if the bills have to look elsewhere. I know Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy Bridgewater is the guy who's out there. Maybe something happens with them. I don't know, man. But God, if you're a Bills fan, that that's that ship is sinking. I, I just if Josh Allen goes down, I don't have any confidence at all. Based on what I've seen here at training camp, that Kyle Allen can do anything at all positive uh with this offense. So anyway, that was my take on the offensive side. I'm gonna take a real quick break here, come back, and then uh, I got a couple takes on the defense as well. Again, kind of an uneventful day on Sunday, but certainly some things that are that worth noting. And I'll talk about a couple of them in just a minute here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, I'm back here talking Buffalo, and we are discussing some of my biggest Bills camp takeaways, primarily from practice here on Sunday, but also uh, generally speaking as well. And like I said, if you're watching this on the YouTube side, make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. It helps us grow this channel. Of course, the audio side, wherever you listen to uh, podcasts, make sure you're uh, following us there as well. All right. So defensive side, we'll actually start with a couple. Uh, we'll start with the news item. Jordan Phillips is officially back. It was his first practice on Sunday. He's off the uh, PUP list. Didn't really do much at practice, which is not surprising at all. He's going to be worked in from off-season surgery. I'll see how that goes over the next couple of weeks. I, it just it got me thinking. This is not really a takeaway necessarily from practice, but it got me thinking when it comes to the defensive line and how many people are going to make and who's going to make the roster. You would think that on the 53-man roster, the Bills are probably going to keep four defensive tackles. I would say five defensive ends, four defensive tackles, nine total on your 53-man roster. To me, that probably sounds right. And assuming I am right, on the defensive tackle side, so you got Daquan Jones, you got Ed Oliver. Those are your locked-in starters. You got Puna Ford. He's your locked-in backup to Daquan Jones, a guy who I think is going to be very valuable for this team, by the way, this year in this rotation. So anyway, that's three. Then you got Jordan Phillips, and you got Tim Settle. If you're going to keep four, both these guys are not going to make the roster. This is going to be an interesting couple weeks for Jordan Phillips and for Tim Settle. Didn't really notice anything from Tim Settle. And again, at practice on Sunday, uh, the entire team, they were in shells, no, no lower pads or pads, I should say, so it wasn't full contact. Um, you know, you, you you can only, you're much more limited on what you see in the trenches, especially if you're not going full goal uh, 100%. But anyway, I did notice last week, and we talked about it on the show at one point last week, I thought Tim said, I don't remember what day it was, but I thought he had an excellent practice. I thought he stood out, and he looked really good. I thought Tim Settle was a very disappointing player last year in his first season with Buffalo, a free agent signing coming from Washington. Um, I was excited about the, the uh, signing last year. I thought that the only thing that the guy was missing was opportunity with Washington. And he got it with Buffalo. I thought he underwhelmed a lot last year. Um, so anyway, this year in camp with Phillips back, I'm not sure that both guys make this roster. So that's going to be something worth monitoring. And again, a news item, Jordan Phillips is back, starting slow, but I'm sure he'll start to uh, ramp it up here in the days and a couple of weeks ahead. Um, back to the Roddy Piper saying, the Terrell Dodson versus um, Terrell Bernard, Tyrell Dodson, I'm sorry, versus Terrell Bernard, that, that middle linebacker competition it lives on. At this point, it's obvious Balin Spector has been eliminated from consideration for the starting job. Um, they're going back and forth. And it was at one point, it was one day Dotson will work with the ones throughout practice. And then the next day will be Bernard. 
Now, at least on Sunday anyway, they're not even, they're splitting reps during practice. Dotson got the uh, the first look at middle linebacker during the walkthrough before stretching. And then when the bullets were flying and it was uh, full speed, it was, it was Bernard getting a lot of the work here um, with the ones. So this is a competition that, that's going to be going on for quite a while. Or at least, not quite a while, but at least uh, another week or two. I don't know. You know, some positions, like I said, you know, I feel like they've been made. They're not official, but I kind of feel like they've been made a couple starting spots here. Like, I, again, I still feel like, I feel like Ryan Bates is going to emerge as the right guard. Uh, talk about corner here in just a second. When it comes to middle linebacker, I truly don't know. I really don't. I think Dodson is going to start week one. I think. You know, another good point. I, I want to make this. A, a good point that Joe made last year, Joe Marino on the podcast, because we talked about these positions, these battles. Who's going to merge? Who's going to be the starter? Blah, blah, blah. This and that. He brought up a great point, and he said he thinks with Sean McDermott that a lot of these positional battles that we're spending a lot of time, including today, talking about, they're not going to be, well, this is your starter, and this is your backup, and that's just the way it goes. You know, that's this is your depth chart. It could be a week by week. It could be a matchup by matchup um, scenario with a handful of these positions. Maybe that might be the case to a linebacker. I think Dotson is a better run defender for sure than Bernard. I think Bernard's a little bit better in covering passes and getting to getting to the football faster at certain angles. So I think that competition is still very much alive. It is very much alive. We're seeing it with their own eyes, including at practice on Sunday. And uh, I think it could still go either way. Of the like three positional battles that we got going on, I probably would say this is the one that I feel is the least settled. And I also feel like this is the one that Sean McDermott probably wants somebody to emerge as or emerge the most of all three. But I don't think we're seeing that yet. By the way, another quick note, Dorian, Nor uh, Dorian Williams was getting some second team reps with Bernard at times during practice, more so than the other practices I've seen because there were a lot of uh, reps during the first three practices that I've been at where Dotson would be playing the mic and Bernard would be playing the Will, Matt Milano's spot. But I see Dorian Williams there pretty much uh, exclusively on Sunday. Um, let's talk about corner because that's the other main position. Kyler Elam might be the most, he might be becoming one of and maybe the most polarizing players on this team. I just don't know what to think of Kyrie Lam anymore. I remember a week ago, and not this Sunday, a week ago on Sunday, I went to Bill's camp. It was my second time. And I was like, both times I'm like left a little bit befuddled on Kyrie Lam because I'm like, he looks really good on some reps. He looks, he's sticking the coverage, physical. And then there's times, I don't know what it is, but he just gets beat. He's making mistakes. Just up and down. Kyrie Lim has been completely up and down. And then last Monday, I thought he had a breakout practice. He um he was on, on reps with Stefan Diggs and doing a really good job. Um, I like what I saw from him. We talked about it specifically on the show. In fact, one time Diggs, so they go one-on-one, -on -one, Diggs got the better of him. Actually, no, I take that back. Yeah, Diggs did. I'm, I'm sorry. Diggs got the better of him the first time. Second time Diggs lined up, it was supposed to be the corner. Number 29, Austin, was lined up on him. Kyrie Lam actually pulled Austin off, and he wanted him for himself. And they were jabbing and jawing. And um, Stefan broke off a, a long route and a shorter route. He caught the ball. 
and, and Kyrie Elam was right up in his grill. Anyway, he looked really good at practice. That was my point. And then he put together by all accounts that we've read a, a string of pretty good practices. He was getting more and more work with the ones. And then I don't know what happens because on Sunday, it was not Kyrie Elam. It was Dane Jackson who's been out there most of the time with the ones alongside Trey White. But Christian Benford leaped, at least on Sunday, completely leaped um, Elam and reps. And by the way, Benford, you want to talk about somebody who had an opportunity? If there was an MVP of practice that we're talking about today from Sunday, it probably was Christian Benford. He had two picks. Uh, one of them, again, just one of them was on Josh, actually. A bad pass. He tried to force it into to double coverage. And then the other one was just um, a, a gift, like I said, from Kyle Allen. Just horrible pass that Benford picked off. But anyway, credit to him. Took advantage of the opportunity, had a really good practice. And on Sunday, anyway, he he leapfrogged Kyler Elam. So I don't know what's going on right now. I'm reasonably confident, not 100% confident, but I'm getting close to 100%. Where I think on week one is going to be Troy White, of course. And then I, I think Dane Jackson is going to be your starter. And I know that's not the sexy pick. I know that doesn't excite fans. And I get it. I'm with you. I understand it. And it's concerning. Let's look, let's call it what it is. It's concerning because you got a guy who you took in the first round last year. And now he's going in the year two. He has lots of tape from his rookie year. Had a terrible camp last year. Got beat out by Benford. I thought Kyrie Elam came on last year. I thought he played pretty well at the end of last season. I thought going into this offseason, he was your locked in. Number two corner, he's not. He's not. And you go into camp and you're like, you got a first-round guy and he can't beat out Dane Jackson, a seventh-round pick. Dane Jackson, a.k.a. Levi Wallace, because that's what Dane Jackson is. He is a low-ceiling, decent-floor player. I, I feel like that's exactly what Levi Wallace was as well. He's not a great player. He's not going to kill you either. He's going to give us some plays. I don't think he's going to kill you. But I think Sean McDermott trusts Dane Jackson more than he trusts Kyrie Elam right now. In fact, I think it's pretty obvious. Hell, he might even trust Christian Bedford more than he trusts Kyrie Elam. It's concerning to me. It's training camp, and it's he's in year two. Okay, so I'm not going to jump to conclusions right now at this point. But I'd be lying to you folks if I sat here and said, I am not highly concerned that Kyrie Elam is never going to be anything more than what he is right now, which is a player who can look great on one rep, and then look like garbage on the next. And until when and if that changes, I don't think you're going to consistently see him on this field. I think Dane Jackson right now is your unofficial locked in. I don't say locked in, but close to locked in starter. I guess the real competition right now is if something happens to Dane Jackson or to Trey White, who's going to come in? Is it going to be Christian Benford or is it going to be Kyrie Elam? Before Sunday, I thought for sure it was Kyler Elam. Based on what I saw at camp today on Sunday, it's Christian Benford. So this is going to be something that we're definitely going to be tracking over the next couple of weeks. And if I'm team Kyler Elam, I don't like this shit at all. It is not cool, not good if you're an Elam guy and watch it in practice, get just uh, go up and down like he is. He's a roller coaster. It's not good. It's not good. So I'm concerned about Kyler Elam. Uh, another note that I've had, not just from today, but from all practices that I've been to, and I completely get why. Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, Trey White, they're keeping those guys fresh. If you're 
looking for them to, to do a lot of stuff on 11 on 11s, don't blink. <laughs> don't blink because they're not going to be out there all that much, nor should they. You already know what you got with Hyde. You already know what you got with Poy. You already know what you got with Trey White. They've all looked good too, by the way. Poyer had one practice. He had two interceptions. He's looked great. I, I think Trey White, in fact, I said it before this practice Sunday last week. I said, I think Trey White and Stephon Diggs have been consistently probably the two, my two favorite players so far in camp. So I'm really high on Trey White being all the way back to the all-pro corner that he was before the ACL. So anyway, those guys are staying fresh, and I think it's pretty obvious the way Sean McDermott is using them. Um, real quick, with Taylor Rapp, I tweeted out and then I deleted it on Sunday. So the Bills were doing some some uh, seven-on-seven work. And Teron Johnson didn't participate in that segment. At first, I thought he was on the field, but not participating in practice. So I tweeted out, I was wrong because later on he did. But anyway, so Ron Neal was getting work first at the slot. And then I seen Cam Lewis doing that. And Taylor Rapp wasn't getting any work. He was playing exclusively safety alongside DeMar Hamlin as the two, as the backup safeties during this drill. So it was all Saran Neal, who I don't like as that backup slot guy for Teron Johnson at all, and uh, Cam Lewis. No Taylor Rapp. But then, and I tweeted that out, I said Taylor Rapp's exclusively playing back at safety. But then when the Bills did some um, 11 on 11 stuff, Taylor Rapp was playing a decent amount of snaps at that nickel slot. So I think they're going to find a way to deploy him quite often. I mean, obviously, as long as Hyde and Poyer are healthy, they're going to be your two safeties. But I think you're going to see plenty of rap ultimately in that slot nickel if something happens to Toronto, or maybe even specific defenses where they might have six defensive backs. He will be that defensive back. I think ultimately he'll be on the field in those situations over Saran Neal, even though Saran Neal was getting the first looks at slot corner um, on Sunday. Anyway, I don't want to, I want to make sure I should say I give credit. Joe, Joe Biscaglia wrote about him. I read his uh, column earlier. Um, Sunday evening. He wrote about this. I completely agree. Greg Rizzo quietly is having a great camp. He looks really good. He looks almost unblockable at times. He's playing inside some. He did some of that last year as well. It just makes him even more versatile. And uh, I just think quietly, he is having an outstanding camp. He's going into year three. I think he improved last year before the high angle spread anyway. I thought he was better in year two than he was in year one. And based on his trajectory, of what we've seen his first two years, I think that Greg Rizzo can have a big uh, breakout season this year, especially when Vaughn when Va Miller's back and with Leonard Floyd, too. He's not going to get those double teams. He's not going to get that attention. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Greg Rizzo to have a big year in 2023. And from what I've seen in camp so far, he looks very primed to uh, to take advantage of it. Uh, last point on the defense here, we're winding down. Haven't seen anyone emerge among the defensive ends in a reserve role. I, I think it's pretty obvious, you know, Rizzo, Involved when he's back, and Leonard Floyd are your first three. I think AJ Epines is probably he has he's having a pretty good camp, but then he, he always has a good camp. I think AJ Epines has been one of the MVPs at camp every year, and then kind of falls off a little bit during the regular season. Puts up some numbers, but I'd like to see some more meaningful sacks from AJ this year. But anyway, I don't want to get off track here. My point I was trying to make was between Boogie Basham, between Shaq Lawson, and between Shane Ray. That fourth for now, ultimately that fifth defensive end. I'm assuming they're going to keep five defensive ends on this roster. I haven't really seen anybody emerge. And nobody's really dominated, like in terms of reps, when it comes to like those second, uh, second string guys that are out there. Probably would give the edge right now to Shaq because I think he's the veteran and a really good established run defender. 
I'm going to hold judgment right now on Boogie Basham until I watch a couple of preseason games. I'm going to tell you, I haven't seen much from him at all, at all, during training camp. In fact, I think Shane Ray has had a better training camp to this point than, uh, than Boogie Basham. But really, nobody on Sunday kind of stood out or, or did anything meaningful uh, from what I saw anyway. Quickly, special teams, the only thing the Bills worked on on Sunday were, were, were kickoffs or kick returns, I should say. And um, yeah, to nobody's surprise, Deontay Hardy is probably, not probably, he's going to be the primary kick returner. There was earlier, like last week at camp, they were working like four or five guys in, catching the ball and, you know, returning kicks. It, 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 they're down to two, at least based on practice on Sunday. It's Hardy. And then it's um the guy they just signed recently from my Arizona, Isabella. He was uh backing up Hardy, getting a couple of reps there. But it certainly looks like Hardy. I think Isabella probably is going to end up, hopefully, I mean, if you're a Bills fan anyway, I, I he, practice squad guy. I don't think he's not going to make the 53 red roster. Short of injuries anyway. Even if the Bills keep six, you got your first five locked in. And then I think the rookie, uh, Justin Shorter, by the way, big dude, man. He's physically impressive. And he looks pretty good. He's looked, not today, but he's looked good on special teams during camp. Potentially even a gunner. I, he's going to be that six receiver. So I think Isabella ends up on the practice squad. But anyway, he was backing up um, reps with Hardy as the long kick returner. And then if you're interested in knowing this kind of thing, the guys who are on the 10-yard line, like the, the short kick guys, it was um, Damian Harris, the backup running back, and, and Khalil Shakir. And then um, Darrington Evans, the running back, was working in with those two guys as well. So that was the look that we saw um, on special teams on Sunday. Uh, a couple other things. They were, they were out. Unrelated to practice, but just something that you can't help but notice, Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, the relationship with them, if there was, an issue this offseason, I, I I think it's clearly squashed right now. These guys like each other. And I notice it on practice on Sunday, and I've noticed it a couple of practices before. They they make effort to to stretch together. You know, I, in fact, I I step the picture from the crowd. If you're watching on the YouTube side, you can see uh on the screen Josh and, and Stefan talking, chatting it up, and they were doing stretches together during team stretches. They communicate a lot. Um, there was one funny play. Stephon dropped the ball. It wasn't full speed like drills, but they were just uh, doing some offensive work and Stefan dropped an easy pass and the crowd kind of awed a little bit and, and laughed. And then Stefan threw the ball back to Josh and Josh kind of raised his arms and he threw a, like a rainbow pass and Stefan caught it and the crowd, you know, cheered pretty loudly. It was a pretty funny moment. But anyway, the relationship, if you're interested in knowing this between Stefan and Josh, if you were a little bit worried about that for whatever reason, so far in camp, that has looked, um, outstanding. It was reported and then some people saw it and nobody's going to snap pictures of the, and, you know, be ignorant and do it. But Kim Bagula was at practice for at least the second time that I know of anyway, on Sunday, um, she was in a van off to the side of the end zone. Um, Terry Bagula was there in a golf cart watching practice. Um, you know, I got a little picture there. It also was Sean McDermott. You see in this photo on the YouTube side, he was chatting it up with Terry. And like I said, Kim was taken in practice. Um, sitting comfortably in that van. So that, of course, is very encouraging and, and very good to see um, Kim Bagula solely getting back out there and taking in these practices. That That is awesome. And then one last thing. I was, um, and then we'll get out of here. I was teasing my guy, Sal Capaccio from WGR a little bit. So I like, when I go to camp, by the way, I sit on the side of the press box. And if you go to camp practices, you'll know what I'm talking about here. Literally at the very top row, the top of the bleachers, and one of the reasons why is because 
you can see the players and the media people coming in and out. And I like to, you know, I like to see that, try to snap a couple pictures um, coming in and out. But anyway, um, Sal Camacho was uh, coming out at the same time as they were coming on the field for practice as Bill's right tackle, Spencer Brown, was like 6'8". And Sal's not 6'8". I took this picture. And if you're watching on YouTube or if you go on my Twitter, it's at Pamoran Tweets. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. Um, dude, he, Spencer Brown makes Sal look like he's like a, a kindergartner. That's just how much bigger he is. Like I said, I got the picture up there. It was just funny to see. I was teasing Sal. I put out a tweet on that and it, uh, a lot of people saw that. So anyway, it's a little bit of good fun. Those guys are doing a really good job of covering this team. But yeah, that's pretty much it from what I saw at practice on Sunday. Kind of a things from today and also a culmination of the four practices that I've been to. There's only three more practices left here at St. John's Fisher. Uh, they're practicing on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And that's a wrap for this year in Rochester. Preseason game on Saturday afternoon against the Colts. And then the practices will be back in Buffalo where unfortunately for fans anyway, they're, uh, they're close to the public. All right. So that's it for today. Thank you for, for tuning in, for watching. You know, every time I do a solo episode, I lie to you people. I don't do it on purpose, but I do. I always say it's just going to be short. It's going to be you know, a solo episode. and It's going to be a short one. Just getting in and out. And then like 45, 50, 55 minutes later, still running my gaps. I, I, I guess that's something that I got to work on when I do these solo episodes. Try to get out in like 30, uh, 35 minutes. But anyway, if you made it all the way to the end, thank you very much. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Pabaran Tweets. And again, one more time. If you're watching this on YouTube and you haven't done so already, just hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. It really helps the uh, algorithms and gives us an opportunity to grow the show. And of course, Spotify, Apple, make sure you're listening. Wherever you listen to, make sure you're uh, subscribed to that as well. All right. Thank you very much. Be back with a brand new episode, by the way, um, Wednesday with my buddy, Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumblies. Talk to you then.